Hi, welcome to another episode of Seeking Hope in Christ Ministries. My name is Jamie, and I'll be speaking today um, on discipleship and what that looks like. Um, But I'd like to start off first with um, the gospel, and that is if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord and that he died on the cross for your sins and rose again in three days, and repent of your sins. In believing in this, the old you will be put to death and the new you will be born in Christ and your name will be written in the book of life. Amen and amen. God is good. So you ever wonder what your purpose is in life, what God created you to be or to do on this earth? I know it took me a lot of years to kind of figure that out. It took me a lot of years to become to come to Christ and to be a believer, um, and um, and it's uh, and it's hard to to figure out. And but once um, I I uh, started to to dive into the Word, and I'm not well versed in the Word, and I'm not trying to be better than I am, but. Um, uh, I know that one always wanted to, I guess I should say, I always wanted to know what my calling was. I mean, I just didn't know. And um, uh, in Matthew, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and this is the word of God, Go therefore make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And I sure and surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now this was uh, um, said by Jesus shortly before he was uh, before he ascended into heaven, and and it says, "Go and make disciples." But it doesn't say go and make converts. You see, no, get me wrong, but the, but you first must be saved to be a disciple. But just because you're a believer doesn't automatically make you a disciple. Uh, earlier in Matthew 10, 24 through 25, Jesus described what a disciple should look like. And disciple is not above his master nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for a disciple that he be as his master and a servant as his Lord. Um, to be a disciple is then just to strive to be like Christ. In Romans eight twenty nine, Paul said, "God's goal for redeeming or saving mankind was that they were to com- to be conformed into the image of His Son." When we today look at the early Christians, we might consider them radicals with a radical form of Christianity, but their viewpoint was their the viewpoint of theirs was normal Christianity, and what we have today they would look at as probably a watered-down form of Christianity. Now, I ask you, are you striving to be a learner or a student of Christ? Are you trying to be like Him? And if not, are you truly capable of being a disciple of Christ? And how can we expect to fulfill this great commission that He put upon us if we don't have a clear understanding of what a disciple is? And according to God's Word, uh, a disciple will have certain characteristics we find it in John 8:31 it says then Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him if you abide in my word you are my disciple indeed a disciple of Christ is one who abides in Jesus's words and according to Strong's dictionary of Hebrew and the Greek word used here for abide means to stay 
and could also be translated into continue or dwell or endure, be present, remain, stand, or tarry. It speaks of someone who not only studies the Bible but also applies it to their lives and lives by it. And in John 13, 34 through 35, it says, A new commandment I give to you, that the that you love one another as I loved you, that you also love one another. And by this all will know that you are my disciples, and if you have love for one another. Now, a disciple is one who loves others, first of all, with the type of love Jesus showed us. And as I've loved you, and secondly, with a love that is visible, by this all will know. Now we must realize a disciple is one who wants to become like his teacher. Was Jesus willing to sacrifice time and effort for his fellow believers? I would say so. And so should we. We should make every effort to get to know our brothers and sisters in Christ and encourage and build them up as often as we can. Does this sound like you so far? A disciple is one who bears much fruit as seen in John 15:8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciple. And if you notice, it says much fruit. Jesus is not talking about an occasional good deed, but a lifestyle which causes people to glorify God. Are you living your life to please God? Are you living your life in a way that brings attention and glory to God? Or are you living a life according to your own desires and in such a way that you get all the attention and the praise? In Matthew 15 or 5, 16, it says, Let our light shine before men that we may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We should be living a life that brings glory to God. And when someone notices our good works, do we take the credit? Or do we give the glory and praise to God who deserves all the glory? In John 15, 1-2 it says, The vine that does not bear fruit is taken away. Some might say this refers to someone losing their salvation. Others, it refers to someone who has never even been saved. You need to study the scriptures for yourself and pray and let God speak to you about this issue. But either way... You can't be a disciple if you haven't if you have been taken away. So are you bearing much fruit for God? So far we've found the disciples' uh, re- requirements, total commitment, especially in regards to the teaching of Christ, the love for other believers, and bearing fruit to the glory of God. We look further, we see that there is a cost to being a disciple as well. Um, in Luke 14, 25-33, Jesus talks about the cost of discipleship. In verse 26, it says, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, Jesus is not talking about here about showing hate toward family members, friends, or, uh, or ourselves. Instead, he was using a... a a sharp contrast to make a point for the love of God should be so strong that in comparison your love for others will look like hate and most important Jesus must come first in Luke uh, 9 59 and 60 Jesus says to a man follow me and the man replied Lord let me first go and bury my father and Jesus answered let the dead bury their own dead but you go and preach the kingdom of God Basically, what this man was saying is, let me wait until my parents grow old and die, and I can bury them. He didn't want to cause conflict in his home. This shows us an example of how 
the care of relationships can conflict with our love for God. Um, as we as we see here in most of our lives, we probably think of re, our relationships with our friends and and our family, and those things should come first, and then we put God in, uh, in the in the equation, and and that equation doesn't uh, add up. You, you you need to put God first for sure. Um, in Matthew ten thirty four and thirty five, addressing the same thought, Jesus says, "Do not think I have come to bring peace on earth." For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Now, being a disciple of Christ will cause a lot of conflict in our personal lives and cause conflict in our own family or even with our friends. Are you willing to risk conflict in your life to be a disciple of Christ? Are you willing to do that? Now, Luke 9, 23 through 27 says, Disciple must be willing to suffer and even die for Christ. But trying to live godly lives in an ungodly world, may, may, we may suffer ridicule and persecution. And as a matter of fact, I can almost guarantee if you don't stand out and seem a little odd to the world, you're probably fitting in a little too well. And the Bible says to be in the world, but not of the world. To be a disciple, Jesus must not, must not only be Savior of our eternal soul, but he also needs to be the Lord of our lives in the here and the now. That means he needs to be in control and have total reign over every area of our lives. Luke 14, 27 says, Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Many today, even in the church, teach that the answer to all of our problems is to build up our self-esteem. The Bible says just the opposite. In fact, the Apostle Paul seemed to have pretty low self-esteem when he said in Romans 7, 24, O wretched man that I am! 2 Timothy uh, 3, 1-5 says, In the last days, people will become lovers of selves. Ephesians 5, 29, No one ever hated his own body, but we feed and care for it. I think of a story in Luke 18, 18, of the rich young ruler. Jesus told him to give all, the, all to the poor and follow him. Jesus knew his heart and knew what money was taking, what money was taking place in the young ruler's life that Jesus wanted to take. And that place is first place. The Bible says our God is a jealous God. He won't share the throne in our lives with anything. The high cost of discipleship has caused many to turn from following Christ. But Jesus wasn't trying to attract large crowds of half-hearted followers. He wanted disciples. You could say Jesus wanted quality more than he wants quantity. I once heard a story of a man who got lost in the desert. And after wandering around for a long time, his throat became very dry. And about the time, he saw a little shack in the distance. He made his way over to the shack and found a water pump with a small jug of water and a note. And the note read, Pour all the water into the top of the pump to prime it, and if you do this, you will get all the water you need. Now the man had a choice to make. If he trusted the note and poured the water in and it worked, he would have all the water he needed. If it didn't work, he would still be thirsty and he might die. Or he could choose to drink the water in the jug and get immediate satisfaction. But it might not be enough and still might die. And after thinking about it, the man decided to risk it. He poured the entire jug into the pump and began to work the handle. And at first nothing happened and he got a little scared. But he kept going and water started coming out. So much water came out, he drank all he wanted, took a shower, and filled all the containers he could find. And because he was 
willing to give up monetary satisfaction, he got all the water he needed. Now the note also said, After you've finished, please refill the jug for the next traveler. The man refilled the jug and even added to the note, Please prime the pump. Believe me, it works. We have the same choice to make. Do we hold on to what we have because we don't believe there are better things in store for us? Or settle for immediate satisfaction? Or do we just trust God and give up all that we have to get the God to get what God has promised us? I think the choice is pretty obvious. We need to pour in all the water. Trust God with everything. Then once we've experienced what God has to offer, the living water, we need to tell other people, go ahead, prime that pump. Believe me, it works. So is it worth it? I think so. Consider the rewards of discipleship. First, there is the promise of future blessings, like in Romans 5, 9, says, We shall be saved from the wrath to come. In Revelation 21, 1 through 8, it says we can look forward to with joyful anticipation of eternity with God, free from sorrow, pain, and death. Then are the present blessings, like in John 14, 27, that Jesus offers a peace the world cannot give, and in 1 John, 413 through 18 it says Jesus offers to those who will follow him the abiding love of God which can cast out all fear and at this point we should ask how does one become a disciple well first and foremost you must have a relationship with Christ for he is the object of our discipleship this may seem a little too obvious but to some it might not be I'm not just talking about saying I believe in God and Jesus and all that religious stuff. I'm talking about a love relationship with the creator of the universe. Has Christ taken residence in your heart? Have you asked him to not only be your savior, but to be your Lord, to rule and reign over every area of your life? For only when you do this can he conform you and to be all he wants you to be. We can't do it on our own strength. Only he can do it. And only if we allow him. In Romans 12:1, Paul writes, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Paul here is talking about more than just acknowledging that Jesus is God. He's talking about an obedience and a sacrifice. Again, in Luke 9:23, it says, To deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow Christ. Taking up your cross is making God's will your will. And when you lay aside your personal goals, desires, and ambitions, that is when God will reveal the desires, goals, and ambitions He has for you. And have you submitted your desires and goals and ambitions to God? Or are you still the Lord of your own life? So do we read the Bible daily? Are we students of the Bible? I would encourage you to study God's Word daily and pray and ask Him to speak to you through what you read. And are we obedient to what we know? to do because knowing what to do is not enough we can't just talk the talk we need to walk the walk and if we are aware of God's will for our lives but unwilling to follow then we are not really disciples are you looking for God's will in your life and when you know it are you willing to follow it so does anyone remember when you were growing up and you would mark your height on the wall or on a chart that way you could tell how much you were growing. Physical growth takes time, and so does spiritual growth. It won't happen overnight. You may not be where you want to be in your spiritual growth, but you should be bigger 
spiritually than you were a year ago. And if we don't follow Christ as his disciples, we will wander through a mediocre Christian life rather than living a Christian life that God intends for us to live. We will be like a farmer who was teaching his son to plow. He told his son, I want you to plow a straight furrow from one end of the field to the other. And the son asked, How will I know when I'm plowing plowing it straight? Do you see the cow over there in the next field? The father replied, Just keep your eyes on the cow and the plow straight for him. And the father came back later to find his furrows going every which way. He said, Son, what in the world happened? Didn't I tell you to keep your eyes on the cow so you could plow a straight furrow? And the son said, I did, Dad, but he kept moving. So, you see, if you focus on the wrong object, your spiritual life is going to wander all over the place. You'll be up one day and down the next. But if you keep your eyes focused on Jesus, you'll plow a straight line every time. He's not going to go anywhere. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. Martin Luther once said, If you can't fly, run. And if you can't run, walk. And if you can't walk, crawl. But for heaven's sakes, don't stand still. And so as I wind this message down... With all the information that I piled up in such a short period of time, you're probably asking yourself or saying to yourself, man, I have such a weird and outlandish past. I've, you know, you, you might be a recovering alcoholic or drug addict or, or still having um, um, some addiction issues in your life and, uh, um, and you don't see how God could ever use you um, with things like that going on in your life and and I've had the same issues in my life I again waited till late in life to follow Christ and and I have some things in my past you know and and we see throughout scripture we see God using imperfect people for the sake of his mission I never quite understood why Jesus chose the individuals he did but I'm guessing his reasoning was to further prove the validity of his being he didn't call the popular the rich or the successful to further his ministry, but rather the poor, the broken, but the faithful. I can only imagine how confused the Pharisees and the religious leaders must have been while looking at a team of people that proclaimed Savior had great had gathered together. And from outside perspective, we can see that it didn't matter where the people were from or what they did or who they used to be because Jesus used all the people for good of his will. If you don't believe me, here are some examples of people that were used for the greatness of his glory. We see Abraham, who was old, Elijah, who was suicidal, Joseph, who was abused, Job, who was bankrupt, Moses, who had a speech impediment, Gideon, who was always afraid, Samson was a womanizer, Rahab was a prostitute, the Samaritan woman was divorced, Noah was a drunk, Jeremiah was young, Jacob was a cheater. David was a murderer. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Peter denied Christ three times. Martha worried about everything. Zacchaeus was small small and money hungry. And the disciples, well, they all fell asleep while praying. And last but not least, good old Paul, who used to be Saul. He was a Pharisee who persecuted Christians well before becoming one. 
and we know that God used him quite a bit um, and he wound up doing some great things and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose so let us pray Father God thank you so much for the words um, that uh, were expressed today Lord uh, I just ask that it uh, hits somebody where they need um, some um, encouragement Lord I just uh, ask uh, that you continue to work in me and this ministry and that uh, all the things that come from here are inspired word of God Um, we just thank you Lord that um, there's an opportunity to even do this at all as uh, we are living in a world today that is a little bit uh, bit of a mess you see it you know what's going on Um, we don't have to explain it to you at all you know everything you you uh, you knew this was going to happen way before we ever knew Um, everything is uh, going according to your plan I'm positive of that Lord I just thank you um, for the fact that uh, you use broken people and that you mend us and you mold us you conform us into what you need us to be and Lord that is just uh, awesome and amazing and and of course we don't deserve it but you love us enough to do it anyway we thank you Lord for all that you do for us in Jesus name we pray Amen now children go out be what you're called to be and that's to be a disciple of Christ Remember that no matter what your past was or what it looked like, that that's the past. God does not judge you on your past. He died for your past. He died for your future. He died for your present time. We live in a sinful world. We were born of sin. God understands that. Jesus was brought to earth to reconcile that for us. He is our lawyer when we go to heaven and I pray and uh, that you go out as a disciple and continue to make disciples and again if you don't know Christ I ask you to uh, to uh, pray and remember um, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 and that um, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Christ is Lord and that he died for your sins on the cross and rose three days later uh, in remission of your sins you pray that and you believe it in your heart and you confess it with your mouth you are saved but it also takes repentance and you must turn away from your sin not that you won't sin again but you must turn away from the sin that you're in now we're all a work in progress look at the people that Christ used Half of us are not even close to being as bad as they were. Be blessed.